0: Okay. Morning, guys. Thanks for being here today on this Hoop Fest Sunday. I know you had lots of other things you could have done. And you're here. Thanks for being here. Uh, I just want to piggyback on of one thing he said. Um, big deal to me, huge deal, is getting baptized in water. And on church, at church in the Park on July 17th, by the way, that's earlier than usual, but uh, we do water baptisms. We often have 30, 40, 50, 60 people who get baptized in water. If you want to do that and you haven't been baptized in water, you need to go to that class on July 10th which you mentioned, the First Steps class, that's for you. And uh, I wanna challenge you, I don't say anything, well I got baptized as a Catholic when I was a kid. I I honor what your parents did trying to honor God. But if you're a Christ follower and you've not been dunked, baptized in water, is a public declaration of your faith, then you need to do that. It's something Jesus did, something Jesus said we need to do. So I would encourage and challenge you to sign up for that and get involved, be fun. Well, as Seth mentioned, we're in part four, the final, the grand finale of our series called Unoffendable. I've really enjoyed this, I hope you've enjoyed the book. If you got into it, it's a great book, one of my favorites I've read in the last few years. And today we're gonna take a look at the secret sauce to being unoffendable. And there is some secrets that I'm gonna share with you. I will be in Romans chapter 12 if you got your Bible or your Bible app, I encourage you to find Romans the 12th chapter, great chapter, we'll get there in just a minute. So secret sauce. do you know there's a special secret ingredient in Coca-Cola? There really is. Uh, Coke's been around since like 19 or 18 something, you know, 100 years or more. And there's a secret ingredient, and I think it's probably cocaine. It is called Coke, or it could be bat guano. I'm not really a Coke fan, I'm a Pepsi guy. But there's a secret ingredient. Nobody knows what that is. Worcester sauce. Say that 10 times as fast as you can. Don't do it, I was kidding. Um, there's a secret ingredient in that as well. And then my all-time favorite in fact where I had dinner last night is the 11 spi- spices and herbs the KFC secret sauce. And here's a true but relatively worthless fact about KFC. Uh, do you know that they actually keep the secret sauce in a vault down a hallway just outside of the legal department. In fact, I got a picture of it right here. This is in Louisville, Kentucky, that's it. That's... I got this off the internet, of course it's true. That's... <laughs> but uh, that's where they apparently keep the secret sauce, and according to those that know, there's only one guy in the world who knows the combination to that safe, which is kinda stupid, and only two people who actually know all 11 herbs and spices and how to mix them to make the secret recipe. That's two people on the planet that actually know the deal. My point in all of that is that, you know, when something's okay, it's okay, but the wow is found often in the secret sauce. That's where the wow is found and I'm gonna give you some secret, okay, maybe not that secret, but some secret things that you need to know that'll help you choose to be unoffendable. We started the first week of this series, and again, we're wrapping it up today, and I said the challenge for us as Christ followers, and I could say even as adults, but certainly as, as Christ followers, is that we can make the choice to be unoffendable. We don't have to live with a chip on our shoulder, we don't have to be angry, we don't have to be you know, easily uh, sent into you know, a, 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 a tantrum, that we can make choices, godly, mature, adult choices to say, I choose not to be offended. I choose to take the way of peace. And the passage we're gonna be in today, in Romans chapter 12, is full, full of some incredibly practical instructions from Paul. In the first 11 chapters of the book of Romans, he deals with a lot of profound theological truths. He writes about the Jews and the law and righteousness through faith. He talks about how we're adopted into God's family, which is awesome. He talks in Romans chapter eight, one of my favorite chapters in the book of Romans, about how nothing can separate us from the love of God. And then as we enter to chapter 12, the very first word is therefore. And I always like to ask people, what's there therefore, therefore? It's there because of the first 11 chapters where he laid his foundation of who we are, what we have, and all that God has done for us. And then because of that, he says therefore, he shifts into an application mode. He begins to get very, very practical. He talks about what our relationship with God looks like and what that boils down to in terms of our relationships with people and a life of faith. Now, I could quite literally give you dozens of things in Romans chapter 12 to consider, dozens of secret sauce ingredients that are found right here. I'm gonna land, for the sake of time, on the top three. Let's pick up Romans chapter 12, verse one. Therefore, there it is, therefore I urge you, And that word urge, Paul's using a very strong word. I'm begging you, I'm urging you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, this is your true and proper worship. Verse two, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing and perfect will. So here's the first secret ingredient in the living, uh, to living an unoffendable life. Number one, be transformed, not conformed. Be transformed, not conformed. This is a big deal. Paul urges us, in view of God's mercies, in view of his goodness to us, his kindness to us, his favor in our life, his grace, in view of all of that, he says our response should be that we offer our lives as a living sacrifice. Now, ha- how many of you have ever killed an animal and offered it as a sacrifice? Good. None of us here have, so this is not a phrase that we typically understand or refer to. In the Old Testament, and even in Jesus' uh, time, to offer a sacrifice was not that uncommon. Uh, People did it to pagan, false gods, and they did it to, to, uh, to Jehovah, to God, Jews did it. To offer a sacrifice meant to consecrate, which just means to set aside for a holy purpose, to set aside for a special purpose, to willingly set something aside, in fact, to set your very best aside for God. Why would they do that? Well, it was an act of honor, it an act of love, it an act of dedication, as an act of reconciliation, and in fact, an act of surrender as well. And Paul is telling them, and us, by the way, to offer our lives in total surrender to God. We're to give God our very best and to hold nothing back. I could talk about that for just an hour right there, because that's a huge challenge for most of us, to understand that the call in response to the mercy, the love, the goodness of God that we are called to, that we are urged to live in this lifestyle where we give our very best, willingly sacrifice to him. Now in the context of verse two, he's explaining that for them, and I believe this is something you need to understand. It's only possible for us to truly offer our lives as a living sacrifice, meaning unblemished and a a, a great gift to God, when we are transformed by the Holy Spirit rather than conformed by the world. And that's why he's connected this verse one and verse two together. Is that if we allow ourselves to be, I'll use the word polluted, diluted, stained, tainted by the the image of the world, the culture around us, then we're not gonna be that, that sacrifice that really honors God. He says, don't be conformed to the pattern, to the mindset, to the way of thinking of the culture we live in. Instead, we're to be transformed by this work of the Holy Spirit. I mentioned this last week, it's a work of the Holy Spirit from the inside out. I love the fact that Christianity is not about getting it all right, figuring it all out, having it all straightened out, and, and you really get your life you know, on track, and you're perfect, and then you come to God, uh-uh. We come to God and say, I am a mess, and I need you, and I, and I surrender my life to you, there's the sacrifice, and now I want you, Holy Spirit, to live in me, to, to transform me from the inside out into the image of Christ. And that transforming work renews the way we think. It literally changes the way we think. It changes the way we see things around us. But here's the challenge, in fact, let's get very real. We live in a culture where just about everybody is offended by something, have you noticed? The airwaves, the newscasts, the political rallies are filled with angry rhetoric. I was sitting in Starbucks the other day, waiting for a guy, I was gonna sit down with him, talk about his shape profile, and blah, blah, blah. And, and there was a couple uh, uh, sitting just not too far from me. And I wasn't eavesdropping, but man, they were mad. They're just mad about everything. They're mad about you know, politics, mad about you know, this, and, and just on and on and on. I thought, we really live in an angry world. Has anybody else noticed that but me? That there's a lot of angry people around us right now. Now, I don't know who this guy is. Uh, the, I, the, the online caption said, angry French politician. I could have shown you a dozens, dozens and dozens of pictures of American politicians, but I figured whoever I pick, I'm gonna get in trouble with somebody. So I picked on a, a Frenchman. But put that picture back up again. I was, look at that guy's face. He is mad and his teeth are bad. Way too much coffee. So this is a guy that's angry and this is the culture that we live in right now. No matter who you are, live with or work with or the neighborhood you live in or the school you go to, you're, you're surrounded by angry people. And my point, is simple, but I need to be very clear. We live in an angry culture surrounded by angry people and if we're not careful, listen to me. Paul, the Word of God says don't be conformed to the image, the pattern, the way of thinking of the culture around you. If we're not careful, we'll be, uh, we're will not being conformed to it rather than transformed by the Holy Spirit. And it's a challenge, it's a challenge for me. We live in a world that is not going the right way. Is not, I don't care who gets to be the next president or what happens, and I'm an American, I love our country, I'm just saying, we live in a world, have you figured out it's not getting better? And it, there's, yeah, the technology's improving and medicine's improving and all sorts of other things are improving, but as a culture, morally, we've, we, it's been getting worse and worse and worse for quite some time. And then you add the anger factor and the, the, the vileness that we're surrounded with, it's very easy to be conformed by that and influenced by that rather than transformed by the Holy Spirit. The first critical ingredient to living an unoffendable life is we can't get sucked into the craziness and the ugliness around us. And so we've gotta choose to allow the Holy Spirit to work in us, to dwell in his word, to worship him, to spend time with godly people who encourage us and build us up and and, and challenge us to be more like Jesus. Let's move on, Romans chapter 12, verse three. I'm gonna pick and choose a few verses here uh, in Romans 12, verse three. For by grace, the grace given to me, I say to you, every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. Skip down to verse 10. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. And one more skip down to verse 16. Live in harmony with one another, do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. I picked verse 3, 10, and 16 because they're all along the same uh, vein of thought, and here's the second secret ingredient. Number two, be humble, not arrogant. Be humble, not arrogant. I mentioned this Brant Hanson quote last week from the book, Unoffendable. It's worth repeating. He said, whatever anyone's done to me or to anyone else, I stand just as guilty. When I read that in the book, it it caused me to pause and stop and think, A, is that true? Hmm, Probably. And B, how does that impact and change my perspective? When I realize that anything, just about anything that has ever been said or done to me, I've probably done to someone else. And if and when we remember that fact, it tends to knock the air out of the puffed up, arrogant view that we tend to have of ourselves. You tracking with me? If I look at you, And I say, I cannot believe that she said that. I can't believe he did that to me. But then I stop and I pause for this moment and I remember, wait a minute. I've probably done the very same thing. I've said the same thing. I've treated other people that way. Yes, people lie to us, but guess what? I lie. Yes, people are mean sometimes, but guess what? I've been mean too. No doubt about it. I've been unfairly judged and thrown under the infamous bus by people, even by friends. But you know what? I've done the same to others. Now, I'm not excusing their sin or mine. I'm simply acknowledging what I believe to be a fact, that I don't have the right to treat others poorly, and it, as if I've never made the same mistakes. I think that's arrogant. I think that's, that's pride. I've made the same mistakes, I have. Listen again to Paul's words, listen. Don't think of yourself more highly than you ought. Honor one another above yourselves. Do not be proud or conceited. The second you and I stop thinking that we've got it all together, and we humbly admit, you know what, man, I've blown it too. Yep, I'm an idiot sometimes, yep, I make mistakes. The minute we pause and remember that, everything changes in the way we relate to the people around us, everything. Remember the kid, uh, some of you have been around for most of the series, but I talked about this kid the very first week, the oversized kid on the undersized bike, riding out of the bike lane in front of me, and he's got these noise cancellation headphones on, big white things, and, and, uh, and I come up behind him and I didn't wanna hit him and he, wasn't, he had no clue where I was and my car's pretty quiet anyhow. So when I got up, I took a wide berth around him, I gave him a little toot just to make sure he didn't weave into me. And I told you remember I said what happened, you know, 30, 40 feet down the way, he flipped me off and that made me really angry. So I slammed on the brakes, really hard to do when you have you know, anti-lock brakes, it's not nearly as much fun, because I wanted that, but it didn't do that, it goes, you know, it stops and he comes riding by me and I'm yelling at him. So remember that story? how much of a jerk I was. Laura and I are sitting out in front of our house this last week. It's nice, uh, I don't have a front porch, so I'm white trash, I sit out in front of my garage. And uh, it's really ugly, but I sit there and we just kinda, you know, we enjoy the sun and the, the outdoors and having a great time. All of a sudden, this kid, and I live on a hill, this kid comes flying down the hill. And he's got the same stupid headphones on and he's, I mean, just flying. His little bike is you flying down the hill. And he's all over the road. I thought, this kid is not going to make 21. No way. He is not going to live long. But this time, rather than, I'm really kind of proud of myself. Rather than get angry, I remember something. I've been a dumb kid, and I've done things way stupider than that kid's ever done. It's a miracle, in fact, that I survived childhood and my youth. It truly is. It's a miracle. The the things I did, in fact, I want to show you a picture. This is not my first car, but this is exactly like my first car. 1966. Pontiac Bonneville, convertible. Mine was red just like that, black top, had black interior. It was a 389, Hurst 4 on the floor. I could squeal going into third gear in that thing. That was my first car. I'm a stoop, not that any of you guys are. I was a stupid youth, a 16-year-old who had way too much power. And I drove and did insanely dumb things in that vehicle over and over. I lived in Northern Minnesota, in Hibbing, up in the Iron Range. And they uh, once a year, they'll go out and clear Monsanto Lake. They take these cats out, these big machines, and because the lakes are like two, three, four feet frozen with ice, and they push all the snow to the side because they have ice fishing contests. Did you know they do that? So they go out and they clear it all out like on a Tuesday or Wednesday, because uh, the ice fishing contest is gonna be on the weekend. Well, every 16-year-old with a stupid car, with a stupid attitude, knew that they had about 24 hours to go out there on that lake and go crazy. I, in that car, well, a car just like that one, I'd get up as fast as I could, sometimes over 70 miles an hour on this lake. It was a big lake, and then I'd hit the brakes, <laughs> doing 360s. The thing is, if I was the only one, that'd still be kind of stupid. But there's all these other kids out there doing the same thing, missed you, up. and then you run this poof, into a snowbank. It was awesome and really dumb, really dumb. All the things I am not encouraging. You. Do not do this at home. I have to say that. I guess you have to say that now. I drove that car in ways that I'm embarrassed to tell you. I've done plenty of stupid in my life. Listen, now how many of you say you've done plenty of stupid in your life? Come on, come on, come on, join me. A Couple of you have no idea. You're not breathing, I guess. (laughs) I have no reason, listen, when I remember that, I have no reason to be cocky or arrogant or to look down on others. That doesn't mean I don't speak truth into people's lives. That doesn't mean that I haven't learned some things and try to pass on wisdom. Of course, I'm I'm just saying, I don't, we're talking about being humble rather than arrogance. I don't have any reason to be arrogant and act as if I've got my act all together. The second ingredient to living an unoffendable life, stop thinking or pretending like you've always had your act together, you haven't. Let's read on, Romans 12, verse 14. Here's how we're really getting down to the nitty gritty. Verse 14, bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse. Verse 17, do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Verse 19, do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for the God's wrath, for it is written, it's mine to revenge, I will repay, says the Lord. Verse 20, on the contrary, rather than take revenge, rather than get even, on the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you'll heap burning coals on his head. Verse 21, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. By the way, Jesus taught this. Back to the the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5. He said the same thing. and completely rocked the world of the Jews. Those listening to Jesus thought, well, that's just the dumbest thing I've ever heard. What do you mean, you know, don't return evil for evil? What do you mean it's not an eye for an eye? What do you mean bless those who curse me? That's just stupid. They literally would have thought, that's just, that's insane. And yet, a few heard this radical call to a different way, a way of peace. So here's the third secret ingredient to being unoffendable. Number three, be merciful, not revengeful. Be merciful, not revengeful. Do you have any idea how radically different our world would be if people lived this? Now, I don't think on this side of eternity, we'll have seasons, maybe years of relative peace, but well, since the beginning of time and over recorded history, there's been more wars and, 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 and killing and all horrible things done that are just the opposite of being merciful. They're about revenge. In fact, have you noticed how easy it is to be mean? How easy it is to be mean rather than kind and merciful? Okay, maybe there's a few of you who you've never kicked a small annoying dog who tried to bite you. I have. Maybe you've never called your boss a jerk or worse, called your boss a jerk behind his or her back. Mm, I have. Maybe you've never flipped anybody off on the, on the highway before. Mm, I have. Not recently, but I have. Maybe you've never been hurt by a boyfriend or a girlfriend or a spouse, and you've never fantasized about how you're gonna get even. I'm, if that's you, I'm, if, I'm so happy for you. I really am. Maybe you're like this person, that you always see the best in everybody and you wanna do something kind and care for the broken and the sick and you're willing just to step up, we got, there it is. You wanna give something really away to somebody, you know, here's my attitude often, I'll just be honest, get a job, dude, what are you doing? And we're downtown on Friday and we're walking along Main Street there and a guy's out in a wheelchair in the rain, he says, got any change? And I said, no. Walked on, and we were going in to get uh, pizza at Mod Pizza. I love Mod Pizza. Going to get pizza at Mod Pizza, and I said, Lord, I said, I'm said i gonna get a pizza for this guy. I don't ever give money, I, as a general rule, I never give money to uh, street people, but I got him a pizza, took it, and I said, yeah, you want pizza? And yeah, I'll take it. If you're kind, and that's your, by nature, that's what you do, you always just see the best in people, I really am, I'm proud of you. But you know you're unusual, right? You're not, the, the rest of us make a science out of being tough on people. And what's worse is we get tough on people and we like to call it tough love when sometimes it's just being a jerk. It's not really tough love. Let me give you a, a list of some common traits of merciful people. Don't answer out loud, but I would encourage you to walk through this with me and to think, is that me or not? Here's some common traits of merciful people who are not easily offended. A, they're not revengeful and they don't live by the motto of an eye for an eye. Merciful people are not looking for a way to get even. They're not laying in bed at night fantasizing about how they're gonna nuke somebody because they did something mean to them. They're not revengeful. B, they're not pugnacious. You know what that word means? It means they're not inclined to fight. They're not pugnacious, they're not always looking for a fight and they're not quick-tempered. You've worked with people, you've, hopefully I don't, hopefully you don't live with somebody like this, but pugnacious people, quick-tempered people are scary to live around. And merciful people are not pugnacious. They're not always looking for a fight. They don't have a lot of buttons that you can push because they've chosen to take a different path. And let her see merciful people are not harsh with people and never wish the worst on their enemies. They're not harsh and they never wish the worst. In fact, they look for ways to bless. Again, Paul wrote this bless rather than curse. Bless rather than curse. As best as you can, live at peace with everyone, including the people you can't stand including the people who really hurt you and wound you. Live at peace with everyone. Don't seek revenge, but do good to those who hate you. Now let me shift gears just for a moment and I'll start to wrap this up. But I wanna tell you, I believe those are some secret ingredients to the sauce of being unoffendable. But I'm also gonna tell you this, none of that's possible without God's help. I'm convinced that this way of life is only possible when we learn to trust in God and His care. In fact, there's this direct correlation, there's this direct link between our ability to trust God and our ability to live in an unoffendable way, in a peaceful way. Choosing to be merciful and unoffendable is choosing to trust in God. What do I mean by that? It's choosing to say, God, I believe you're bigger than that person. I believe you're bigger than that situation. I believe you're going to take care of me. I believe that I can entrust my life to you. I believe that, God, you're the one who's sovereign. And we sang about a sovereignty this morning, that you are God I can entrust my life to. And so I choose to trust you. And as we trust him, then we are able to step back from the intensity and the anger and the, the pugnaciousness that some of us are so naturally inclined to, and that would be me. We're more able to say, you know what, I trust God. I entrust him, I trust my life to him. And sometimes our anger makes us feel like we have a right for revenge. And a right to cast the first stone, but again, we don't. I don't have to get even because God is in control. I don't have to get revenge because I trust him. And I, I know life is not fair. If you haven't figured that out yet, write it down. Life is not fair and you will not be treated fairly all that often, and there are things that are going to be completely whacked and wrong. And I'm not saying we just, you know, that we never stand for truth and justice. I'm not saying that. What I'm dealing with is our attitude, our heart, our, our, our focus needs to be on him. I trust you, God. How do you think it was possible for Jesus being nailed on a cross, dying a horrific death to say, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing? How is that possible? because he trusted the Father. Into your hands I commit my spirit, he said. There's nothing anyone, listen to me, there's nothing anyone can take from you that God can't redeem, restore, renew, either in this life or in the life to come. Now, it may not happen in the 60, 70, 80, 90 years that you live on this planet, but the promise is you know that this life is just rehearsal for the eternity, right? I mean, think about it. You're gonna spend, maybe if you're lucky, I don't know, I'm not sure, I want to live to 100 because I'm not sure I remember my name at that point. But let's say you live to 100 years. 100 years, that's a pretty long life. You're gonna live for trillions. Tri- gazillions, I'm trying to think of a word. It's countless numbers of years in eternity. This life is preparation for the life to come. And you can trust God that he will redeem, restore, renew, either in this life, sometimes that happens, but certainly in the life to come. So again, the third ingredient to living an unoffendable life is learning to practice mercy and intentional kindness to those who don't deserve it. I've been getting some encouraging emails from East Pointers. That's always fun. I like those emails. And they've been telling me stories. I've had chat with a couple people over coffee of things that have been going on in in their life since we started this series, Unoffendable. I hope it's you. I know it's been a challenge for me. But well, one of the emails I got told me about experience that this lady had a grocery store, I won't tell you which store, it doesn't matter, but she walked up to the clerk, had a big thing of groceries and uh, you know, the grocery clerks are trained to say, hi, did you find everything you needed today? That's kinda like, have you noticed, that's kinda their, their good customer service. Didn't ask that question, didn't even look up and smile, just started shoving the stuff by and doing her thing and, and then she got to the fruit and this lady, she said in her email, she says, I love my fruit. And I love my kiwis. And she started treating my kiwis like they were walnuts, and that made me a little concerned because she's, you know, dumping them on the the uh, the, the what the measuring thing, and then throwing them in the bag and probably in the bottom of the bag with cans on top. I don't know. She said, "Normally my response would not have been a response; it would have been a reaction, and I would have given her an earful. I'm paying for that. Stop it. Treat that stuff better. Or you're, I'm gonna who's your boss?" And she's got all this stuff going on her. But then she stopped. She had this moment, and I just love these God moments where she thought, you know what? I've had bad days before too, and I've mistreated just about everything and everybody when I'm grumpy. Now I'm sure none of you can relate to her, but that's what she was confessing to me is I, she said, I, I realized this, this, this grocery clerk was just having a bad day. So instead of getting angry, instead of getting frustrated, instead of getting tense, instead of saying anything negative at all, this East Pointer went after she got her card back and was all done with the, the transaction. She looked her in the eye and said, you know, I, 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 it seems like you've had a really tough day. I'm so sorry. I hope your day is better. Wasn't sarcastic. I could, I could say those same words. It would be very different. <laughs> hope your day is better. No. She was very genuine, very sincere. She said, it seems like you've been, had a tough day. I hope your day is better. She said that, that grocery clerk started to tear up. I mean, she could see her eyes immediately because there was a, maybe that was the first kind thing anyone had done or said to her all day long. We can choose. Be transformed rather than conform. Be humble rather than arrogant. Be merciful rather than revengeful. And so what are the benefits of that? I'll give you two, I'm done. The great benefits of being unoffendable, of living this life, on the one hand, we'll find rest and release, when we release our right for revenge, you'll find rest you will find a way of life that will reduce your blood pressure, reduce your stress, bring you more joy. And it's, again, it won't always be easy, but I promise you this. When a great benefit to living an unoffendable life is that you'll find rest in the release of your rights. When you choose to serve and to lay your life down, there's blessing and rest there. The other great benefit is that you'll begin to attract people rather than repel people. And what do I mean by that? You know, all too often, Christ followers, we Christians, are known for what we're against, what we hate, that we're angry. I'm not saying that you're that way or that, I, I don't believe these points that way and, and by and large, but I do know this. The reputation a lot of us have in our culture is not very good, and, and sometimes it's earned reputation, because we're, we're angry and we're mad and we do all, you know, we make a big, listen, when we choose to live the life Jesus lived, when we choose to be unoffendable, to lay our lives down, to be humble rather than arrogant, to be merciful, and to actually bless those who curse us, then there's something incredibly beautiful about that that actually attracts people to Jesus rather than repel them. And I think the great challenge, my humble opinion, the great challenge for the church, capital C right now, is that we be more like Jesus. It doesn't mean we don't take a stand for truth. Don't even go there with me, of course we do. I'm saying that we do so with a different heart, a different attitude, a different perspective where we choose to lay our lives down, we choose to be unoffended, we choose to be merciful and humble. We choose to be good, just like our good, good Father. All so let me pray for you. Jesus, you lived this life, and people were drawn to you. They heard in you, they saw in you a completely different way of living. And I know, Lord, I know that that attracted them because They saw in you the goodness and the mercy and the kindness of the Father. And Jesus, I know that you lived that life because you trusted God, you trusted the Father. You lived moment by moment, every day, more than we'll ever do on the side of eternity. You lived completely surrendered to him, a a living sacrifice, and trusting your life, everything, to the Father. And even on that cross, that most tragic and yet most glorious moment for us who follow you. That moment, Lord, of great agony and pain, you entrusted your life to the Father even then, and you blessed those who were cursing you. Jesus, I ask you to change our hearts, change our way of thinking. I, it's been a month in this series, Lord, and I know it's a lifestyle for some of us of uh, being offended and easily angered, and that there's a lot that needs to happen, a lot that still needs to happen and to, to be developed and grow, grown in us. But I trust you, I trust you Holy Spirit to get us there, to mold us and to shape us, help us to trust you. Keep your head bowed and your eyes closed. Maybe you're here today and you've not yet started your life as a Christ follower. I tell by about trusting God, the very first step you take is to say, I surrender my life, I trust him for my salvation. I trust him for mercy and grace. If you're here today and you're ready to say yes to God, to begin your life as a Christ follower, I'm gonna pray a very simple prayer. We do this every week because I wanna give you the opportunity to say yes to God. If this is what you want and you're ready today to say, yep, God, I surrender my life to you, then just make this prayer yours right now. Jesus, thank you for dying for me on that cross. Thank you that your surrender gave me hope, that your death gave me life, that your gift to me is forgiveness and mercy and grace. I get it. Right here, right now. I say yes to you. I surrender my life to you. I choose you. Thank you for choosing me. Not that's you. That's your desire. This is the beginning. It's a journey that will take you from here to eternity. But if you're ready, and that's you, just say in your heart, yes, God, that's me. Yes, Jesus, I surrender my life to you. Yes, today. I want to be a Christ follower. I want to follow you. I want to be your kid forever. Lord, thank you for those that are making that decision right now in this room. For those that are making it, watching online, I pray, God, that you would just surround them with your presence right now. Let them see how much they are loved and that this moment began a a journey into eternity as as the child of God you destined them to become. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together. We're going to finish with one last song. It's a, it's a modern ver- version of an old hymn, but it talks about our trust in Him. And some of you are going to sing that today for the first time because you entrusted your life to Him. A lot of us need to sing it today saying, God, I don't know how to deal with my kid, my spouse, my boss, my neighbor, my friend. I don't know how to, I don't know how to choose to be like you. Well, it starts when we trust our life to Him. Let's sing it together. I'll come back and wrap it up the way He's Lord through the storm for you. He's Lord, period. But the way you'll experience that Lordship is when you just decide to trust, to believe, to entrust your life to Him. And it changes us, changes us again from the inside out. Today, if you began your life as a Christ follower, if you started that journey, I want to encourage you to pick up one of these as a gift basket, a Bible, some material, you start to you walk with Jesus. It's on the tables by each of the doors. And then text us or email us. We want to walk with you in this journey. Please let us know how we can help you in this. You're not alone. Tell somebody, you'll make their day. Prayer team will be down front. There's communion available always on both sides of the room if you'd like to take communion today. Uh, whether as an individual, as a family, please do so before you leave. Next couple of weeks we're going to do a mini-series called Religion and Politics. That's going to be fun. Going to get your heart changed hopefully and uh, prep for some of the uh, things coming up, uh, conventions and such this summer. And then we start July 10th, the uh, summer series that I'm excited about through the book of Philippians. And i will walk you through some of the big ideas in the book of Philippians. I'm excited about that too. Here's my prayer for you. Go choose, no matter what happens this week, today, if you're going down to Hoop Fest, no matter what happens down there or on the road or anywhere else, choose to entrust your life to Him because that's the secret to being undefendable. God bless you guys. Thanks for being here.